Let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations and words of my heart be acceptable in thy sight and be received by your loving servants. And bless us this day. Amen. It was a very moving thing today to have our beach service uh, on Heritage Sunday when we're thinking of those who some centuries ago landed on that beach and made their way into the unknown and the faith and hope and fear that may have combined as they launched out into a new land. We weren't sure how we were going to do because it started to sprinkle as we began. But we had some gentle dew from heaven to baptize us as we moved ahead and it cleared and we had a fine gathering time and a good assembly there. But Heritage Sunday, uh, I think we can borrow something from our Roman Catholic and Episcopal friends who are in their churches, they have the Stations of the Cross, which the faithful will visit and do that rather regularly as a part of their spiritual discipline. But we have something very special, which I hope too can be honored as a part of our heritage and our hope and our history, is these marvelous stained glass windows that reveal not only the history of our faith, but the history of our community. Last Sunday, I was paying attention in the meeting, but I had the advantage to sit down one of the pews, and I was just caught up in seeing the message and the figures and the meaning of it, and I do think we, every once in a while, would be well served to do kind of a, a prayerful pilgrimage along to identify with these in our own time. But I think the spirit of the heritage we have is that of a pilgrim people, and I don't just mean pilgrims of 1620 or even 1640. But the real nature of our faith is that we're a pilgrim people. We heard it when God called Abraham. We heard it when God called Moses. We heard it in the story of Ruth, who in faith moved out. We heard it when when, uh, Mary and Joseph were summoned to their pilgrimage to move out into safety and in Jesus, too, who came and, and wanted us to begin a pilgrimage by saying, follow me, follow me. And friends, if we hear it and we receive it, it's a pilgrimage, a great one. The text we had in the Psalm 24 is really a pilgrim psalm, talking about their experience of the wonder of God's creation and and the sense of how do we approach it, and the sense of God receiving and hearing us. And this was chanted by the pilgrim people as they went up to the temple, because they wanted to be aware as they entered into the holy. And then in Matthew, that lovely story of Jesus. And you know, he came with the same old truth, but with a new breath. He brought an insight into it that was troubling to the status quo and the power brokers, religious and civil of his society. 
and they were threatened. And so they skillfully tried to, to silence him and came up and said, Teacher, which is the most important of the law? And Jesus lost no time. And what was it he said? You remember? You, know, you, don't, you can cheat on this or, or you can remember from your own memory. What, what was it that he's... Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Love the Lord, but, but with some punch. It wasn't just love. Love is a verb. Love is action. And he said, love, love the Lord. With what? With all your passion. With all your prayer. With all your intelligence. With all, all your being. So this is not a passive thing. This is an engaging, enrapturing, capturing thing so that, that uh, uh, he could see. And then he said, and then it's about the other. Love the other with just as much passion and faith as you have found in your relationship with God. And who was the other that Jesus was talking about when, when he, he didn't come out in this one, but his, his elucidation later on? Do you remember? Who was it? Hello? It was, it was the story of the Good Samaritan. Anybody who has fallen, anybody who's scared, anybody who's exploited, he brings to them the healing love at not considering his own convenience, but considering their care. And you know, Everything else is an interpretation of this. But you know there's a trick. So often the interpretation of this basic simple truth is trying to figure out a way to get out of it. Of finding a way to escape. So it doesn't really mean what he's called us to be in a life-changing pilgrimage. And there's another part of this that... that, um, we understand, and Karen Armstrong has helped us see this and other scholars, that every major tradition has as its heart this same summons and injunction. Ramifications may vary, and we may be so prejudiced that we say, well, I don't see it in others, but, you know, don't look in the mirror of our own tradition. What we're called to be isn't what we, always what we are. But we share with every tradition this sense of awe and humility before God. That, uh, and then what they're saying is, you know, it's really about feelings. He said, what we're really talking about is the deed, not the creed. Jesus didn't say, believe this. He said, do this. It was an action of love to try to make us aware and awake and a consciousness that the Psalms talk about. You know, the, 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 the title Buddha means to be awake. 
Jesus came to help us be awake and aware. And outside my study and office in Stanford, I have a illustrated quote from Irenaeus of Lyon back centuries ago who said, The glory of God is the human being fully alive. Fully alive. I want to add something interpreting of that. In our UCC tradition, we say, and God is still speaking. And I'd, I'd like to add to that a nudge. God is still moving. Moving among us. Moving in us. Moving with us to be a part of his entrance and dealing with the world. One of my favorite writers, teachers, is Diana Butler Bass. Now, Some of you, when Kate was here, read her book on a people's history of Christianity, and it's good. And this new book is Christianity Beyond Religion. And she, it's, I, I recommend it to you, uh, that uh, you look at it and see how she... And she said that in our tradition there were three great awakenings that moved the country and stirred it in the, in the early colonial days and then in the camp meeting days and then further along in the turn of the century where in, this, in the Pentecostal and social gospel time. But she said, we're now in a fourth awakening. We're experiencing around us a fourth awakening, a spring, a spring of vitality that is in churches, is in communities, among people. I think the Sojourners community in Washington is one of the, as I've mentioned it before, one of the lovely communities is just a fermentation of that sense of, a, of an awakening. And Jim Wallace is around the country as a great spirit, stirring us to a greater heightened consciousness. And, and Sean Claiborne in, in, Pencil, in, in um, Philadelphia, his book on the irresistible revolution, how some students got together and and they were moved by people being displaced in homes and, and moved in among them and worked with them and established a community that has continued today and really been a, a real leaven, not only in that city, but in our lives. And, and uh, uh, Anne Lamott talks about it in some of her work, but uh, one of our own, Richard Rohr, the pastor of the Congregational Church in Oklahoma City is a, is a leading spirit of, of the Fourth of a Great Awakening. And, and uh, in his book on the underground church, challenges to see how, how it's moving and shaking the foundation so that we become better tuned in to who and where we are. And, and Richard Rohr, the, the Franciscan monk who's written some stunning stuff, um, and one of his, every, everything is included. It's just uh, amazingly beautiful on how the spirit is moving. And, and, and it isn't compartmentalized into a single tradition, but it's in, a, in, in the spirit of God's uh, hovering over us and bringing us to a new place. And, and Diane Butler Bass said, 
the, 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 the great awakening takes usually about three forms. And one of them is that our experience of God, that the poets catch it. Mary Oliver gets it. But that God is not something we assent to intellectually, but something we feel spiritually in our being, in our moving. Carl Jung said, unless one has a sense of the numinous, you can never be whole. Now, wholeness is really what salvation means. It isn't sweet by and by. It's being made whole in the here and the now. And so he's, he's calling us, and, and um, so is that. But the numinous is really feeling the spirit nudging and working within you. And there's lots in the, our, in the saints of our traditions. And if you'll pardon as a Methodist, John Wesley talked about that. And, but there's contemporary people, contemporary ones who, who have felt and, and understood that. And then, then she said that the Great Awakening is a connection. It's finding purposeful community so that we don't gather as a club. We gather as a purposeful, conscious community caring for one another. So that, that sense of our belonging and our moving together, as those folks came ashore, they had to have a sense of belonging as they found their way in the wilderness. And so on our pilgrimage... We're called to such a th place. And then uh, she said, the other part is service. But I want to translate service in another way. I, I, for this morning, anyway, I, I like the idea that, that we're called to share. So often service is, is downward. Uh, Jesus helped us wash feet and that kind of thing. But in our time, we think of it, we become kind of paternalistic. But, so I like to think of it as sharing, that we're on equal plane with all these folks, wherever they are. As in the confession, we talked about people trapped in many places. So we're there with them, and we're sharing something of what we have, but we're receiving something that they have, so we can be lifted up to care for one another. And now, you know Parker Palmer? Any of you read some of his work, Courage to Teach? He's given us one for this occasion. His latest book was Healing the Heart of Democracy. What an agenda for this year. Hello. I mean, we need to study that one. Because he talks about how you find community meaningful and sharing in a, in a real way. And another one that, if you, did you see last, yesterday's New York Times where they do, do a profile every Saturday on the Reverend Alejandro Solinde? Good. Wasn't that fascinating? Here's a priest who was sent to a, a community in Mexico and suddenly discovered that it was on the trail of Central Americans trying to work their way through Mexico to get to North America. And they were being murdered and robbed and beaten and imprisoned and exploited. And as a pastor, he said, that's not good. We can't do that. 
So he risked the ire of these powerful exploiters and drug people and, and, and stood up and created a sanctuary, a little home where people could stay. Now, we had that in our history. Do you remember? you remember where? The Underground Railroad. And so, and then he was able to work in a way that to get one in another place. But because he created these interruptions in corruption, his name is dead. He has to be guarded because the powerful ones want his head, want his life. But he said in the paper, now the, the nation has recognized it a bit and so we have some visibility, so maybe we, maybe we have a chance, but he has to be protected. But how amazing it is because you know, he saw it, he felt it, and then was able to risk his life to provide sanctuary. Isn't that what this is called here? A sanct where our faith should be and could be. But you know, every, every great move forward of the Spirit brings a, a fear. Action brings reaction. And the challenge to caring change will get resistance unlike anything we might have imagined and known. But you know, one of the important things as we're on our pilgrimage to remember that faith and certainty are not twins. Faith does, helps us deal with the uncertainty. But if our God is certainty, we're stuck. We can't move. We aren't reaction. And so, what happens in our time, and it's happening right now on the political scene and our religious scene, the vulnerable become fearful. The powerful become greedy. Now play that one out as you read the paper, as you think about voting. And the great danger is that people who cry for certainty in an age where it's impossible want to create a vision, vision or dream of nostalgia. And nostalgia is not a light for the future. It's a blinder for the present and an inabilitator for what's to come. And to face it is going to take the courage that the civil rights leaders had, the suffragettes had, the anti-slave people had, and Herman talked about the unions had. So it isn't an easy trip. Trying to get people to change, to move forward in faith, can be threatening but exhilarating. Now, 
to illustrate this, I hope you saw Tuesday's op-ed article in the New York Times of David Brooks, where he talked about the, the, the inequity in education in our country, and where the advantaged with privilege and plenty could nurture and care and, 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 and uh, love their children. But those who are struggling, and unemployed, and disadvantaged are, are at, at risk. And David Brooks said, and this is David Brooks, this isn't some crazy old preacher like me. He said, as a nation, we must come to grips with this inequity in education or we are committing national suicide. You know, there's some prophets in the press, and we need to listen. We need to hear that. And there are people in, in Greenwich who are, in our, in our congregation, who are doing some good things to bridge that. And we lift them up, but they're doing it. But it isn't just individually. We've got to look at how we structure our education and pay for it and work with it in the community so everybody can feel enhanced and helped and loved. Because fear-based religion and politics is suicide, and there's too much of it. But compassionate-based spirituality, awakening, can transform where we are and make a difference where we will be and how we'll get there. Jim Forbes of formerly Riverside Church and Union Seminary said recently, yeah, there is a fourth awakening. There's a great awakening. But that awakening is not just within our own fold. That awakening is that we begin to understand and see the, the Buddhists and, and the Hindus and the Jews and the, whatever the traditions may be and, and understand it. So we share with them. We're not afraid of them. We can embrace our own, but we understand how we can enhance and help one another. It's in the, in the spirit of Desmond Tutu who said, Ubuntu is what we crave. That means we're all one. We're all united. We're together. Nana Butler Bass told a story in her book about President Obama going down to give a commencement address at the Dade County Community College in Florida. And there were 181 nations in the graduating class of that community college. How about that? And each one carried a flag. And as they walked across the stage, their people would shout and rejoice. All of them. And at the end, one came across with the American flag. And the whole assembly erupted with joy and excitement. It's a commencement of an understanding of e pluribus unum. 
of our oneness. And it isn't just in the political dimensions. It's critically important in the spiritual dimension. Now, it's Heritage Sunday. We have a heritage that's been too often neglected. Herman Melville wrote the great American classic, Moby Dick. You remember it? We need to read it again. New book on why read Moby Dick. He got in trouble for that book, almost went bankrupt. He was rejected. He told the story, as you know, of Ahab, who felt life had dealt him dirty because the whale got his leg, and he vowed to live to make revenge. And it became his madness that he had to strike back to get even with the whale fate. And in his madness, he destroyed his crew, his boat, and himself. He was talking about our country. When we talk about revenge and division, we're going to sink the ship. He's calling us, really, to see where we are to hear Jesus saying, follow thou me. I'll make you people. I'll help you learn how to live with one another. And they had to stop it with the crucifixion, but it didn't work. And it won't work with us. That we too must stand up and witness to our faith that our nation doesn't commit suicide and that one veteran a day doesn't have to commit suicide because he was subjected to the madness of the futility of war in a place that has buried empires for generations. Why? Would those human sacrifices that we throw to the god of war have to destroy themselves because the community of love doesn't have arms long enough and hands strong enough to embrace them back in the community for meaningful community where we can find and feel one another and see the Spirit of God saying, You're beloved. I love you. I love you. Division is deadly. But risking to love is healing. Now, it's not going to be comfortable, but it will be immensely exciting to discover what God can do with us. As St. Francis said, if we're willing to be instruments of his love, Are you up to it? Can you feel and follow 
the embrace of the divine to make the human whole. Amen.